My name is Scott Challoner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. Now, as regular listeners of our programme will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end today, it is my delight to welcome Judith Germain onto the show. Um, Judith is known for creating clear thinking and decisive leaders who can thrive in complex, constantly changing environments. Um, She's an executive mentor working with the C-suite and senior teams, a consultant, author, speaker and trainer. Um, she's also the leadership columnist for HR Zone and her expert opinion has been sought across BBC Radio and National and Trade Press as well. So without further ado, Judith, welcome to you and thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, Scott. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, myself as well, Judith, and it's a real pleasure for me welcoming you onto the uh, the program with us. Um, obviously, I've given a um, a brief outline of sort of the work that you do as an executive mentor, but just for those listeners that might not be familiar with you, um, please feel free to sort of expand upon that and just tell us a bit more about those sort of leaders that you work with and kind of what it is that you really help them with. Sure, no problem. Yeah, what I what I have found um, over the years is that. Um, you go onto the C-suite and you're expected to know everything. You're expected that all your training has taken place and then you're ready to, to just run the organisation. And what's happening right now is that there's a real imbalance between your impact and the influence that you provide. So when I work with the C-suite particularly, I help mentor them to amplify their influence so that they make the impact that they want on the organisation in the most effective way. And I also work with senior leadership teams to ensure that they can set strategy, they can lead effectively, and they can take their collective impact in a manner to have the right leadership culture to drive the organisation forward. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. And when we talk about kind of the right leadership culture, just sort of touching on that for a moment, what does a good leadership culture look like or would you say that's dependent upon the organisation that you're working with? There is some dependency but there's also some common things and I think in the past when people talked about culture they said um, culture is what happens around here. I say that culture is what happens around here but it's also who you are around here and I think we as an organisation as an employer we focus really heavily on the organisational culture Mm. without realising that individuals themselves have their own culture, their own leadership, their individual leadership culture. So the ethnicity, their values, their principles, what's important to them, for example. And when they get into the workplace and they meet a another person, their leadership culture then becomes a collective one. So you have leadership teams and how they empower people, how their attitudes to change, how their attitudes to risk, all that becomes a leadership culture. And then the organisational culture is what supports the leadership culture. And then that's demonstrated to the customers. So with organisations that say, I want to be more customer-centric, whether that's internally or external customers, they really need to go back to the leadership culture and say, what are, what are we like collectively? Because what we do collectively is what our organisation will support and what our customers will feel. Yeah, certainly makes sense and plenty of food for thought as well for anybody who might be tuning into this and thinking about the leadership culture of their business or a business that they're planning on building for sure. And um, just um, digressing for a moment, Judith, I believe I'm right in saying that sort of prior to 
sort of moving into sort of executive coaching. Um, you're involved in sort of senior positions in um, industries such as insurance and human resources. So I'd be interested to kind of get more of an idea as to sort of how you made that transition into executive coaching. Was it something you kind of knew that you always wanted to do? And would you say that the experience that you've had from working in industry has really fed into sort of your coaching style, let's say? Uh, no, <laughs> I guess a couple of things. I tend to do a lot more executive mentoring rather than coaching. And mm. for the listeners, the, the difference is with coaching, you tend to, the, you, you have the belief that the person that you're coaching has the answers, but they don't know they have the answers. So you ask the right questions and you get the answers from them. With executive mentoring, it's a transfer of, of knowledge um, and skills. So it's about, it's more akin to, um, consulting and partnershiping with the individual. So you're mm. taking the skills and resources that you have. In the past, um, I guess I, I never, I never considered that I would be uh, working, you know, working in a business, uh, providing that sort of mentoring. I, I guess it's probably the most significant thing. I was, I was in HR, senior HR. But my HR was very maverick, very different from other HR people. And when I say that, I mean, I I also ended up uh, running or being responsible for a lot of operational and making a lot of operational decisions as an operational business person as opposed to a HR person. So I used to say, oh, I will train up a responsible adult to run HR. So the operational practical aspects of HR was run by someone in my team, I looked at the strategy, but then I also then supported the business in the business. So when I decided to come out, I took that skill set and um, the qualifications around the HR, people dynamics, how do people do the things they do, why they do the things they do, what kind of learning and development do they need. With the operational, how do you run a business? Because quite often I was either the second or the third person in charge so how do you run a business and then bring that into the mentoring of the senior team because I was like you know a pair of them and I also work with entrepreneurs so I was taking that corporate experience and drilling it down and saying like this is what you need to do in your smaller business because obviously entrepreneurs there's a lot less people in charge so so they have to fill in their gaps of knowledge elsewhere does that help yeah, it certainly does. And um, just to touch on something else as well, I mean, during um, your time in those roles, um, you were obviously a lot younger then. Um, you were a woman as well. And as we know, that there's there's not a huge amount of quality uh, equality with women in senior positions even now. And uh, you were also a person of colour as well. So um, what was it like sort of having those characteristics and trying to sort of make your way in a senior position like that and do you feel the situation sort of in terms of diversity and inclusion has really improved in that sense yeah you know I think I think it's so I, I define maverick willfully independent people mm. and I would say a lot of it is to do with, with a maverick nature so when I was looking at making those moves I thought what is it that you need to be able to lead other people so I became a senior leader at 24, for example, not leading anybody formally beforehand. And that was a changing career from insurance into, into retail, um, being head of HR over two sites of a thousand employees. So it was quite a big move, having not done HR before as well. Um, and I looked at it and I thought, right, okay, 
there's one of the things I need to do. To do most people immediately go to leadership training and books and stuff. And I went the other way and I said, how do people, how do you influence people? So I learned, before I started looking at the, the facets of management and leadership, I learned uh, body language. I learned about transactional analysis. I learned about that those drivers that move people. And then I went and looked at, oh, these are the things that are required in terms of leadership theory and management theory that was around there. And I got, um, whilst working, I got qualified. So I had the credibility because I, I was, um, I used to be a commercial underwriter and then I'd worked in other sort of insurance things. So I understood how business works, I understood how the levers and the things that you need to, to move and influence people. And I guess part of it is that if you want, and I say this to the people I work with, if you want to be seen as a senior leader, you need to act like one. So it's like understanding how do senior leaders act. And one great way of looking at it is the language. So senior leaders tend to start off with, you come to the leader and the questions are, what's the problem? What needs to happen now? Where are we? Um, so if you to talk to them, you need to come from that perspective. A lot of junior leaders will start with all the little things that happen before they get to the point. So you, need, so you immediately sound junior because you're not speaking the same language. Mm. And I think if you're, if you're aware of your own value, you know the impact that you can make and you've learned. So I, always, I was always someone that knew more than the HR. I knew the particular business I was in. I knew how it ran. I knew what drove it. I knew what was coming. You know, I made sure I knew so that when I was talking to people, I could talk with authority. So if you were sitting with marketing and the marketing campaign was not working, I knew enough to say, have we considered doing this? Mm. You know, and I think, and I think that's one of the problems um, in corporations where they insist that people become very siloed. Whereas I think uh, great management leaders, the ones that can thrive in complex times, are ones that are natural consultants. They make it their job to discover what is what is keeping up their colleague at night. What can they do to support that? How can they make that happen? And I think that's the difference. But yeah, it was it was an interesting time because for many years I was like the youngest. <laughs> the youngest of the room. Um, often the only woman and definitely the only uh, minority ethnic mm. individual. Um, but I wasn't intimidated by that. And I think that has a lot to do with how you're dealt with. Mm. I was never... I was never worried about being the youngest or the only female. I just expected to be there and was treated like that. And I think it's also one of the things that has to, women talk about a lot is being mansplained. Mm. Um, so, like, so, so sometimes you've been in a meeting and you say something and people will ignore you and then somebody else will say it um, to see how, and they want to say how great it is. And rather than seizing, I would say things like, Oh, Colin, I'm so pleased that you agree with me when you said that. Because uh, yeah, and then it immediately shines to light that oh, actually, yeah, you're just repeating what she said, but you say it with a smile, and you know, and you and you just you know, and they just you're not aggressive about it. You're like oh, I'm so pleased. That's why I made that point, Colin. I'm so glad you picked it up. Mm. So let's do you know, 
and then it's like, oh, okay. Or it's a case of, I remember, um, I remember somebody, I remember going into a, a room and somebody saying, oh, dude, can you go and get the coffee? And I was the only woman in everything. And I said, oh, no, I don't want a coffee, thanks. And just sat down. And it was, so mm. that would require the, the individual to then have to say, I want you to get the coffee because you're a woman and you need to go. And I was just, I just pretended I didn't understand. I went, no, I don't want a coffee, thanks. And sat down, opened up my wallet and sat there. And it was like, oh. And, you, and you, I think it's a lot of it's to do with the attitude. I was never aggressive about things like that. Because mm. there's no point. Because if you're going to influence other people, the aggression isn't the way to go. That's a very, very clever sort of psychology, isn't it? Just thinking about sort of how you influence people and sort of having mastered that art as well and sort of, um, I'm guessing, taking that into sort of your executive mentoring work. Um, I guess it'd be good to kind of get um, an idea as to sort of what some of the common issues are that you help sort of entrepreneurs and these sort of business leaders in the uh, the sweet suite and elsewhere um, really overcome because we've we've obviously talked about sort of culture, um, but I imagine there's sort of some um, recurring culture traps that you've probably seen as well, haven't you, that you've had to help them get over? Yeah, and you, you know what? I think I think we, we as a you know, UK, UK organisations have become so accustomed to training and developing as a reward. So it tends to be, if you've done really well, you can use some of the training budget as opposed to what's required and we make an assumption that if you're at a certain level of seniority you don't require anything else and I think what the things that I see that's really common can I, can I break it up into, into entrepreneurs and uh, senior teams absolutely okay? yeah, absolutely okay so what I see so it's on the entrepreneurial side what I see that's really really common is a lack of understanding of what is their core identity what is the purpose of that business what is the what is the purpose of the um, the founder, the CEO, leadership team? How do they translate their purpose into a, into a process that people can buy into? So, for example, my process is strategize, innovate, execute, and I do that all the time. But if it's an issue, what's the problem? Why need to? What's the purpose? Okay, what can we bring into that's new? How can we innovate? Let's make sure we execute. Entrepreneurs tend to, as they grow, tend to lose the point of processes, the culture that they've inoculated to begin with. And therefore, then it stops them attracting the clients that they want. And they, they take it too long to start outsourcing the stuff that they can't do. So, so I work with a lot about, you know, becoming more attractive to other people and actually probably taking what's common as a senior say like as um, a chief operational officer take that knowledge to the entrepreneur because they don't necessarily have that experience what's really common i'm seeing a lot in leadership teams if you think if you think now that uh, with covid and remote working and the way that we're working now organizations are flattering out very very fast and going into a matrix organization and when i say matrix i mean you have more than one boss and without that uh, hierarchy, organisations, leaders are really struggling. They're really struggling to, to influence without authority. That's the key thing. 
and the way I look at things, I, I sort of break down what are if I need to if you need to lead, i.e. you need to influence, what are the things that you need to do? So part of it is you as an individual. Because leadership is personal, like I said to you before about the culture, what am I bringing? How am I effective? You need to look at that. But you also need to look at what you're executing. And I have found things like how to deal with stakeholder leadership is a big issue. How do I have that? How do I correct the imbalance between the impact I give? So people tend to be really, they make a huge high impact, but they don't influence the right people. So, they, so it kind of crumples. And also, biggest thing for both entrepreneurs and organisations is the recognition that societies have changed. We mm. can no longer expect people to bring to lose their personal stuff at home. And if there are major movements, whether it's COVID, whether it's Black Lives Matter, that is happening outside the organisation, you need to respond internally as well as externally. And I think that and that has been missed by a lot of organisations where they'll make public statements to get their customers on side, but they don't do anything internally. And if you think your employees have to serve those customers, it, it's the wrong way around the different things. Mm. And that's key, isn't it? The fact that there needs to be some acknowledgement to the fact that society has changed and you need to change the way that you do things and the way that you lead in tandem with that because it isn't just consumer spending habits that have changed. So you've got to suddenly make a public show of, you know, aligning your business with, with a certain purpose, for instance. But it's also... Yeah changing the culture internally isn't it because we hear a lot of talk about the the great resignation don't we and a big part Mm -hmm. of that is the fact that employees are sat there thinking well why am I doing this Um, I'm much more aware of my own sort of mortality my own health and well-being what why am I here why am I working for this business when I could be working elsewhere somewhere where I'll be happier and more valued and if business leaders aren't taking this on board they're obviously going to be losing out in the long run because in what is a very 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 tough environment for recruitment right now um, Retention, yeah. retention's massive, isn't it? That's right. And you know what's interesting is that if we do move into a situation where the cost of living increases to the point that people are frightened to leave, they will check out anyway. So they will be there, but the great resignation becomes a great disappointment. <laughs> you know, where people mm. finally realise, hang on, the companies aren't doing what they promised that they do. So they will be there but their hearts and minds are gone and they are putting back into, you know, what the Americans have termed the side hustle. So you'll see a lot of uh, businesses springing up on the side where employees are putting their time and energy into that, not necessarily in work hours, but they're coming to that rather than what, you know, and what they were employed to do. And I think the psychological contract that we have spent years eroding between organisations and employees are coming back to bite because lots of organisations have survived on goodwill. Mm. That goodwill is being eroded. So then what happens? And the idea of quiet quitting would have been called in the 80s and the 70s work to rule. It's the same thing. It's just got a, a re, you know, it's just got a nice connect. Um, but with individuals saying, you know what, well, if you're not going to serve me in the way I believe I need to be served, I am not going to do the same. I will do what you're paying me to do. That's what people are calling quite quitting that you would have said mm. was working to rule. And I think the name change has kind of allowed employers to almost 
not pay attention to it because it sounds a lot more passive than it actually is. And I think we have to recognise that late millennial generation Z, you know, aren't that far from being 50% of the workforce. So you've got, and then you've got a huge amount of the workforce, menopausal women, for example. All right. So there's that, which we've not really seen before. So we know that internally we have to do something different because we know that the younger generation are all about, I want to see diversity because I, I live in a diverse place. I want that in my workplace. I want you to, to treat me in a certain way. I will not put up with the way you, tra- you treat the generation X and generation, you know, and the boomers because I don't need to. I'm going to go on Instagram. I'm going to make money doing that. I'm going to sell this. I'm going to do that. Um, and I think that organisations are struggling and entrepreneurs are struggling because they're not used to more maverick type of activity in their workplaces. Mm. I think that's very right. I think when you think of leaders, certainly of the older generation out there that are of that more kind of traditional mindset, not necessarily command and control. I think that might be a little bit no. harsh, but... Uh, yeah, yeah it, it may be something difficult that they have to come to terms with, but it is one of those things that they simply have no choice to adapt to. So obviously with no. the environment changing, we talked about leaders need to be very, very mindful of this, but is there anything else from your perspective that you think that you know entrepreneurs and executives really need to be doing right at this point in time, especially now that we're going through another sort of tricky economic period? I think, they need, I think for both groups, it's back to first principles in the sense of what is it that we're here for? And let's make store make sure that we build a strategy around that and that it gets executed. And I say execution a lot rather than implemented. And that's because quite often um, there's a lot of comfort that ha- in having a great strategy and implementing that strategy. The difference between execution and implementation is that the the strategy that's implemented executes the problem that you're facing. So often you have a strategy that's set, especially if you've got a strategy that's five years out, for example, even two years out is a bit is a little bit dangerous now. And then you become fixated on implementing it as you have stated it, missing that there are things that have changed or things that will change, whether it's new laws, whether it's you know, cost of living, whatever it is. So you stick rigidly to implementing what you promised to implement without thinking what are the consequences of that execution, whether it's on whether it's burning out. So like people say right now, there are organizations out there that are saying, right, what we'll do is we'll cut our training budget. And one thing that we should know that every time that that is done over all the different recessions and stuff that's taken place, the companies lose out. What they need to be doing is saying, what we need to do is focus on training that matters, not not have any. Because if you think about um, an organisation where you've got uh, those that can afford to leave, leave. And so I'm talking about maybe older people that can afford to leave. So you get a lot of skill and knowledge that's leaving. And then you've got the young younger people who may not even have gone into an organisation and have, mingled and learnt through osmosis your culture and your rules so they're working remotely and they're uncertain they, they, they're they not sure how do you do this and why do you do that and do you see what I mean and like, if you don't give them what they need to build their confidence to build 
their skills and often the, the skills that are required aren't what people are providing because at the moment they're providing um, mandatory training so training for legislation or training for something that needs to happen when you think actually we're requiring these individuals to lead but you have decided that they're too young or too inexperienced for leadership development and that's a real problem Mm. It certainly is a real problem and it's something that business leaders really do need to be um, aware of and mindful of and uh, to any business leader as well or aspiring entrepreneur that you know might be tuning into this particular podcast and have been left with food for thought and you may want to of course leave a comment with us on some of the matters and issues that we have discussed today Um, you are able to uh, to do that just to make you aware you can do so via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us or you can even apply to beyond the program yourself and bring your opinion to the discussion table via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply just to make you aware of that too. Um, for now um, it's been an immense pleasure welcoming Judith Germain onto today's programme leadership consultant, business mentor, author and trainer uh, but before we wrap things up Judith I wanted to sort of have a little bit of a chat about the uh, the future as well because we've sort of referenced a few times already that you know we are in sort of tricky times economically at the moment so I'm just wondering sort of what your priorities are for the uh, the immediate term the next 12 months as you sort of bid to help and sort of mentor entrepreneurs and c-suite executives through this tricky time that we find ourselves in yeah thank you for that what i'm, I'm about to launch actually um a group program on how to amplify your influence because as we've said quite a few times amplification of influence is what's going to move an organization forward and also keep people in the role that they want to be in transition to, to that. So there'll be a lot of focus around a group program. I think I'm going to continue to, to plow deep with my one-to-one mentoring uh, with um, the C-suite and the aspiring C-suite individuals. So they'll be probably the key things moving forward. I may well um, start writing that second book that people keep asking me to do. Um, and I think I will also plough forward with the Maverick leadership uh, development training that that I I do, where I pretty much bespoke the the training to an organisation to ensure that they have clear thinking and decisive leaders, and they really understand how to pivot and move in the environment that we're in right now. And I think the way that I focus on and help to make it future-proof for people is to change the way of thinking so that when things come, you can think and expect in a different way rather than trying to uh, train or develop or mentor to the exact present problem. So it's got to be present and future as opposed to right now. Absolutely right. And uh, with the future in mind, and as we start to see sort of how things take shape, Judith, I'd relish the opportunity to welcome you back onto the show just to see how things are really coming together and sort of what work you've been doing with the with those clients of yours. Oh, I'd love to. That'd be fantastic. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, I'd relish the opportunity to welcome you back as well, Judith. It's been fantastic and really eye-opening for me as well, uh, welcoming you onto the show. And I'm certainly sure the listeners share that sentiment as well. And uh, to all of our listeners, um, I've been your host, Scott Challoner, on today's show. And I certainly do indeed hope that you've enjoyed hearing from business mentor Judith Germain on today's show. Um, and until next time, everybody, please do take care and goodbye. And to you as well, Judith, I'm sure we'll catch up very soon. Thank you, Scott.